Hi, listeners. I'm very excited. Our guest today, I have read his book, Sand Talk, twice in a week. Tyson Yunker-Porter, welcome to Blind Insights. How you doing? Oh, come on. Speak up, Tyson. <laughs> Don't sound shy. Well, no, I, do, I just find it hard to like engage in the greetings thing when I'm already thinking about the next thing I want to talk about. All right. What would you like to talk about? You start. Oh, I was just imagining you reading the book. Like I know you, you, you mentioned that it was on uh, Amazon. Yep, so it was you, Kindle. Like, had a, like, you know. So the voice in my phone, which sounds like an educated Melbourne lady in her mid-30s. Okay, sweet. Oh, so you didn't get the... Like no, all right, no, so no, no. Thankfully, there's some some uh, synthetic voices now that uh, the more human they are, in some ways, they're more disruptive because when they get it wrong, you go, "Why would a person get it wrong?" Well, I so was you just, want them to be just synthetic enough to be credible. I was just thinking, um, have you actually held the book yet, like a physical copy of the book? No, why? Because you done saying textural with the cover. Yeah, that, that's oh. that's a braille there. Not like Braille the alphabet, but, but, but um, indigenous. Yeah, sort what, of meaning the, the carving. Like I did, like um, one big boomerang, right? Where I put everything in the book on that one boomerang. Wow, etched into the wood. Anyway, they used a photo of part of that boomerang on the front cover, but they embossed. Ah, oh, so you get the, the carved bits, so you can actually run your fingers over it. And All right, I will go buy a physical copy next time I see. You, I'll get you to sign it. I'd, That'd yeah, be cool. Yeah, yeah, but with what? Oh, you'll have a pen. Or we can get a stylus and you can I engrave do a it. I rubbing in. with like something. Yeah, there's bound to be ways we can do this. Yeah. Sorry, listeners, this is way off topic, but a cool thing about Tyson's book in the beginning of every chapter is a description of something he's made and then carved the knowledge in the chapter into the thing he's made so he remembers what wants to go in the chapter. And he makes a joke in the book that he could put in all the 3D printing instructions, but it would be a huge file. I'm like, gimme! Where's the file? I want to be able to print off the shield. I want to be able to print off the sort of thing you carry a baby in. And it seems like there's about five different kinds of boomerangs I now understand exist. Yeah, you'll just have to come around to thing Melbourne and come and visit. Yeah, yeah. Well, give me your address. I'll mail you something out. I'll mail you a um, fishing boomerang. Okay, we will organise this when we're not on air because I don't yeah, want to yeah. get strange things from strange people. But boomerangs, I'm all for because the fishing <laughs> ones were the ones that yeah you could basically uh, used to jab things with, can't you? I think you were saying yeah. in the book the lady carries one for self defence. Yes, yeah, she does. Like so, I guess it's like a, a wooden like shuriken mm, yeah. cool. ninja star or something. A friend of mine is a, a medical anthropologist, and he gave me a beautiful little flint blade that was only made a couple of years before he gave it to me, oh, which wow. is about twice the length of a razor and about as sharp. Oh, nice. It's like the sharp thing you can take anywhere. Nice. Mm, very good. And okay. way off topic. Yeah, yeah, you'll probably have to scratch that one later or you're going to get searched. Oh, well, you don't need it at conferences. It's all good. Are you going through like at the airport? No, it's a lump of stone. Thing. What are yeah. they going to do? Now, Tyson, I've been trying to describe your book to people and I've been doing it poorly. What I've been saying to people is what I love about it, having been trained as an existential philosopher and as an anarchist philosopher, is encountering a brand new philosophy a brand new world view you know an adaptive system that has evolved over tens of thousands of years to changing environments people's changing needs that continues to evolve have i sort of got it right yeah well it's uh, it's interesting how you use the word new and old at the same time because it strikes me that you're adding to it by what you're doing now to create the book and that that's okay because the system knows how to make use of the new. Well, yeah. not the system. Well, I'm Indigenous just following, philosophy knows what to do with new. I'm just following the pattern. Yeah. It's the same pattern and it's the same structure or it's the same system of thought as, you know, forever. 
there's just different items added in. So pattern mind is an idea that, from what you can find out in your research, this idea of all the pieces being seen as potentially interrelated, that is one of the, the ideas that's forever been at the centre of Indigenous knowledge making? Yeah. I mean, just absolutely. And that, that's, I mean, that's the difference between the, these two completely different paradigms. So what we have here today is a growth-based economic system and I guess the, the Indigenous paradigm is an increase system and, and there's a very there's a vast difference between increase and growth because increase doesn't doesn't grow the size of the system it grows the complexity yeah. within the system it uh, keeps going with those it's, it's adding intensity com- it's combinatorials yeah okay it's that um, I don't know have you ever come across the theory of the adjacent possible what I was thinking you were saying mathematical is, theorem yeah. that's the closest I can find to this might be related there's a, an American philosopher guy called Dale Jaquette who talks about a thing called a combinatorial ontology that's it and he says each time we're sitting at a table we could each of the three of us describe ten things about this table put them together and discover we now know so much more about the table yep. the table's still the table but we've gone from 10 things individually to 30 things, the three of us. And then we can grab the next person that walks past our recording, you know, temporary recording studio here. Mm. They could add their 10. So we just keep layering integrated knowledge. That's it. Okay. Well, look, in this space that we're in right now, there's about a thousand people. So there's, you know, so there's the people here at the conference. Yep, everyone else walking around the buildings the around, like just this little space. There's about a thousand people probably at the moment. In that thousand, we are three people sitting here. There are a billion threes. Yeah in that thousand people different combinatorials yep so look at what our three minds are putting together now so you're going to have to talk up now too (laughs) yeah we're we're volunteering Tim Tim yeah that's it so (laughs) what our three minds are putting together now (laughs) and 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 forming and you know which lasts beyond the time that we're sitting here too um, there's a billion of those Mm. And there's um and, and it's funny because the research that's been done into this shows that all those combinatorials happen for a very long time, and then nothing much happens, really. And then suddenly there is a L curve explosion, like a Cambrian explosion of creation and creativity that happens within that. So this L curve suddenly just goes boom, and it's beyond exponential. So it's it literally just is it's vertical. Like it's the exponential yeah. function to the power of whatever. It's it's, yep. it's more than the exponential function. It just goes through the roof. Yeah, yeah. And, and what, do that, they have any idea why? Is it normally when things get difficult, or when there's been so much change that they just can't bend what they had, and they genuinely need to create the new? Yeah. Is it so many generations forget a little bit and desperately want the new, or is it all of them at once? Or well, I think that's when. When that same thing happens within the physical system and the way people are using it, you know, at that overlap between cultures and systems, which I guess the overlap of a cultural system and a natural system would be the economy. Mm. That's where economies are. Um, And I guess those things can, you know, if you don't have a stable economy, uh, like we had here for a very long time, like most humans for most of human history, I'm not talking about the last 10,000 years. That last 10,000 years no, is, pre-farming. A, is, a, is, a, is a blip. Um, but before that, you know, most people you know, had, had quite stable systems, governance and stable economies. And these are, um, you know, operating around groups of about 150 people 
that's the Dunbar number, mm. you know, and the Dunbar number is, you know, that, that fellow Dunbar, do all that research, and that's, um, in evolutionary terms, it's, it's the number of people that we've evolved to, um, you know, be the ideal community. So all of our systems within us, all the blueprints for how to be, how to live, uh, how to govern, um, trade, everything else, you know, these are biological as much as anything else now, but we've evolved to be able to do that with about 150 people really effectively. That way we've got the connection with them. We remember their story. They That's remember it. ours. So there's That's always well, that it, sense it, of being it requires, a part of something. It requires transparency. Yeah. Because the, the problem is that um, beyond 150 people, you lose transparency and you can have predators and sociopaths and, you know, divergent people who... Well, basically we'll abandon it you know well, it's a fascinating um, point in your book when you talk about violence yeah that most indigenous cultures go okay violence is a part of life but violence will happen in front of witnesses and inside the rules if you do violence you know beyond the community and beyond the rules then you're both in trouble that's it but here's the thing it's it's that's where that's where you know when you get past that Dunbar number it becomes a problem because mm. things can be done anonymously mm. you can sneak around when there's um you can be anonymous mm. you go around and, and just be this assassin this horrible person spreading gossip could be as simple as that uh, it could be that you're murdering destroying people. reputations is all it could, could take to change the nature mess, society. dumping something in the river mm. you know you can do these things anonymously once there's too many people but with 150 people everybody knows what everyone's doing and so trust it's not an issue. You don't need to resolve that with a blockchain or anything else. It's the, the trust is there. Mm. You don't need a currency, you know, fungible um, token, mm. you know, to be able to, you know, trade beyond the sphere of trust. You don't need it, that token of value, because that value exists in the relations within that system. And you grow those relations. You increase the relatedness within the system. And there's just infinite combinatorials that you can do there that will um, do amazing things. How does that then extend? Because, of course, we get past the Dunbar number and we end up with multiple small communities. You know, here in the... here in the scale well. No. Well, but here in Australia where, you know, before 1788, there were so many communities of that size who would have traded, interacted, met up, shared the good times, maybe helped in bad times, I would guess. Mm, mm. And is that because it was always because we want to and we interact when we want to? Is that the, the key difference? I think it's the because, trust we, we, maintain? because we must. So okay. if you, you go to Brewarina where the fish traps are there, they, they used to get like uh, like up to apparently 50,000 people all in that place for about a month, you know, wow. on a regular basis. And, and the place was so abundant that it would feed that many people for that long. But you think about what it would take... I mean, you know, the security that you need at a festival. Yeah. I mean, the amount of sexual assaults you get at a, a you know, a day-long music festival, the amount of um, yeah. drug overdoses, all these kinds of things. Imagine having 50,000 people all together for a month in one place, all doing ceremony, all negotiating who's going to marry who, who's going to adopt which kids, you know, and, and take them back with them, who's going to trade what for what. That's an economy. That's an economy that works. So, <laughs> yeah, but it would have been a heap of people turning up. It can up scale, but but um, for a month, a year would be great. But then everyone would have been looking forward, I guess, to going home. Yeah, well, I guess that's how you'd manage, um, you know, continental governance under a continental common law. So if you had, I mean, you're an anarchist, so you understand the idea of having, a, you know, lots of, um, yeah. you know, syndicated little autonomous groups of people. Yeah, you know, who can come together in 
you know, different regional groups and then who can come together in, you know, more centrally from time to time and yep. make things happen. Well, Gaddafi's Green Book. Yeah. That was a pretty damn good model. Yeah. Um, well, in the example of the, the anarcho syndicalists, it's like Mondragon in Spain. Yeah. Creating yeah. heavy industry through anarchism. It's yeah, amazing. that's it. Um, he, you know, he had some really good goals. He did come close to unifying and liberating Africa. He came close to creating a um, currency that was actually worth something in and of itself. So it wasn't just a token or a fiat. You know, with the dinar that he was trying to create, he, mm. did, he did quite a few things like that. He worked really hard to keep that central bank out of his country. Mm. He did a lot of those things and he was sort of demonised and had a lot of um, absolute lies and propaganda spread about him and, you know, ended up... I mean, they got, like, Al-Qaeda dudes. Like, you know, the US got Mm. Al-Qaeda dudes who were supposed to be, you know, they called them moderate rebels and, you know, sent them to organise and they armed them and... And so they went, you know, killed him and shoved a bayonet up his ass and put that up on YouTube for everyone to see. And then Hillary Clinton, who'd organised it, she stood there and laughed and said, yeah, we came, uh, we saw he died. Mm. It's, um, it's a horrific story. And you, know, you had an indigenous man as a leader who was trying to create a system you know, albeit through a dictatorship, but I mean, mm. it takes a while. You know, he, he saw it taking his whole lifetime to achieve, but he was trying to take, uh, create a system that would be sustainable, you know, before all their groundwater ran out. And also taking a system where, like you were saying before, when you've got a lot of small <coughs> communities who have very strong trust amongst themselves, yeah. but don't have an overarching sense of we're an entity together, yeah. someone's going to have to impose that entity unless you want to wait a lot of time otherwise each of those little groups is going to get picked off yeah well i mean he understood that because he mm. was in that uh culture where they you know they have their little clusters of tents mm. mobile through the desert and then mm. come together for big gatherings you know for larger governance events i mean what i saw the model coming through his green book was a very strong indigenous model of mm. um, how to be in the world and i know that's not going to be a popular point of view no, but um, it's the whole point of revisiting. I my did ideas. have a chapter on that in my book, but mm. you know, you're actually not allowed to write about that. No, no. But the fact <laughs> that you you talk about the, you know, the Green Book a couple of times, I'm like, hang on, this is coming out of left field. Yeah, well, I'm guessing that there might have been some stuff on this that you wanted to put in that, in the end, maybe there wasn't enough material, or you know, the no. publisher didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you want us to take well, that out? No, it's fine. You go for it. It's, oh. it's not just about the publisher. It's about what's acceptable in the world. Mm. You know, my publishers are awesome. Like they're mediating between me and a marketplace, mm. uh, trying to make me palatable enough that people are going to want to buy this book, you know? Yeah, and this is something I think that a lot of listeners might need to stop and think about for a bit as they're reading Tyson's book when you start talking about modern education and the Prussian model. Yep. Now I regularly say to my undergraduates here at the university, you are in a system that from age 5 to 17 has made you docile and now I need you to wake back up. Yeah. But how do they wake back up when they've had 12 years of enforced docility? And especially the only, when the only model of that is, is, the, is woke. Yeah, and that's not a wake-up model. <laughs> a bit different. It, it's a kind of be angry model. Yeah. And I don't want angry people, I want awake people, and there's the, a distinct it's difference. A, the red pill, it's like that's some, that's the beige pill or something. <laughs> <laughs> the beige pill. It's the beige pill. I'm glad I can't see the beige pill. I just won't take any pills. Uh, sorry, I'll try. I'm going to stick with whole less, foods. 
color metaphors. Hey, but on the bright side, I still use color metaphors even though I'm colorblind. Oh, really? Yeah, but I still say see you later to people because if I say hear you later, <laughs> they get weirded out. Yeah. True. <laughs> and Ty- we still oh, say with, with, with mobile phones, pick up. Yeah, oh, that's a great example in your book. book as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once a little phrase is powerful, mm. we just change its meaning as times change and keep the words. That's it. With education, um, it's quite clear that you know the the need for docility in the industrial world meant you know the Prussians did it first, then the Americans bought the the package, and then the rest of the developed world bought the Kool Aid, and now the whole world's bought the Kool Aid. Mm. Of kids have to be docile first. And everything else comes after that. How much more difficult is this for, say, indigenous kids where their life is outside and interesting and there's mm. plants and animals and mm. stories and mm. they don't just know about the seventh of a hectare block mm. they live on with mum and dad. They have stories about the, you know, the sort of mountain they can see. They have stories about the stream they walk down to and look at the tadpoles. And memories of those things yeah. because yeah. they're not forced, well, they're not placated by not having to have a memory because mm. it's accessible yeah. on their mobile device. Like how different does early schooling need to be when kids have had that open start? Well, the memory, I mean, if the very tiny percentage of us who are fortunate enough to have access to those homeland spaces um, throughout our childhood... Um, Yes, yeah, that's one thing. Um, but the rest of us, it's like you say, Tim, that's the memory. And it's not through the device, but it, it, you know, it's in the stories that we're told. Mm. And that, you know, all those stories you grow up with, there's a rich inner world of, um, and maps of place that become part of who you are, even if you never, ever visit those places. You've got a map um, for it. So you know, there are many different ways of being you know, Aboriginal and Indigenous in Australia, and there are lots of different... There's, you know, some people like to have a sliding scale that they attribute values to of authenticity and inauthenticity and all that kind of thing. But I think um, on the whole, or across the entire spectrum, there is a kind of agency for your, that, that, that exists you know, as, as an Aboriginal child uh, showing up at preschool for the first time. You are carrying this kind of agency of... Um, you know, deciding what you're going to do and exactly when you're going to do it. Mm. Uh, this this vibrant sort of curiosity about things around you and you're learning these things and downloading them, uploading them, whatever into you, these maps, these inner maps that mm. you have. So hitting the Prussian model must suck. You know what, I don't know, um, Western Buddhists call wild mind, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a lot more of a free-ranging kind of haptic relation to the world around you. Yeah, and if, you know, unless you're completely assimilated, you know, going back generations, you're going to have some degree of that as an Indigenous student coming into a school. And it can get flogged out of you. It will get flogged out of you. That's what the system aims to do. It depends on whether or not you break before the the cell does, if you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah, does the you system know. give up on you yeah. or do you go under the so system? So either, either you break or, or the system breaks and they expel you and you mm. move to another place. And, I think know. that's the most fascinating thing about your work. And, and not to say that I didn't know this before, it's just that I think the most fascinating thing about your work is all these really practical examples of mm. ways that your Indigenous culture can contribute um, and repair or uh, improve our system, you know. Mm-hmm the 
thousands of years old kinds of philosophies and things that can uh, that are actually very um, there's it's productive it's one of those things. Yeah, mm. it's one of the you coming up against a language pro- problem here because you have a thought and mm. English isn't working. <laughs> sure, a, and that's sure. another thing we talk about a lot in the book. Is yeah, that, the uh, language in, is so uh, powerful yeah. when it's so old. Well, I'll leave those um, gaps in. Doesn't now. work for a lot of things. <laughs> mm. I mean, my language doesn't work for a lot of things. You know. Yeah, mm. you need to. So my my language doesn't have any abstract nouns. Mm. So mm. you know, it's hard to talk about existentialism uh, with a blind man when you got no abstract nouns. <laughs> hey, dude, if you were talking in in, in you know, anything but English, I just go. We're both uh-huh. trying, but we're not getting far, are uh-huh. we? How about yeah. we just get a beer? But, you know, I don't know. It's such a narrow bandwidth yeah. to language. Um, and yet from my perspective, I, mean, I, I, know exactly, such a I know exactly one. what you're trying to say. Yeah. And no, not trying to say, because you're saying it. Like, you're just not saying it with the words. I'm, oh, I'm just taking a long time to get it and, out. You know, <laughs> and, and I'm getting that mm. on the, the full bandwidth of our communication here. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not what comes across... You won't, I won't get that on the recording. If I if I I'll edit it to make it a bit more cohesive, but yeah. No, no, but check it out. Um, this is really interesting. I don't like recorded music, okay, because it, it's it's actually not the sound. Mm. See that the sounds that you hear, the sound that you hear, you're only getting about when you record it. They're only focusing on the um, on the bits that the front of your mind is noticing, mm. the front of your con- forefront of your consciousness. Mm. So it's it's this it's this tiny bit. It's like one percent of what the actual deep sound is that you're feeling with your entire body. Mm-hmm. So what's when it's a sound is recorded? It's really just a shadow of like yeah, you're not getting 1%. the venue, you're not getting the crowd, you're not getting help. Well, there's that as well. Around. But I'm talking about even just straight the sound yeah. of the guitar. Yeah, you're, you're only getting one percent of that in what you record. But then the context of the experience of being there yeah. and being in relation to that place and everything else, you're not getting that your shared relation with the person that you're communicating with. So us to our shared relation and our shared context and understanding of this context and how this is a conversation within a conversation, um, there's all that as well. Mm. So it's like to the power of bloody something, the actual information that's there and what's communicated between us. It's not coming on this for a start because the actual sound is only coming through at 1%. Mm. Mm. You know, the rest of that is not there. Sure. And then there's the rest of it. Sure. And then there's spirit, which is like an entire another yeah, which you know, as well. This, this machine here isn't capable of capturing. But yeah. uh, I think what an excellent example of perhaps something I was even just trying to describe, which is that you're saying, you know, let's say the system focuses on that one percent of bandwidth of mm. you know, the let's say capability of human communication or mm. society or whatever plane you would like to mm. apply this to. You're saying, you know, there's a whole other ninety nine percent that lots of indigenous cultures not even necessarily just australian have an understanding of because we've been on this earth for long enough to have lots of these ideas we've already thought about mm. multiple and times a long over. time in a lot of places absolutely mm. and so there's in in that sense nothing new under the sun so having the understanding of the extra 99 percent and being able to contribute whatever parts of that you would you know are useful i think is the most empowering part of your work is maybe the compliment I was trying to say. The question I have is, is it frustrating for someone in your position trying to communicate that out into the world? Because, it, it, you know, it doesn't get the media coverage you may hope. And, you know, you putting your book out is perhaps the most productive thing you could do. 
You have the to book put is in a just format a, a foundation for a yarn. You know, yeah. okay. the book is a conversation with a person. Mm-hmm. So we nearly called the book "Us Two mm-hmm. because the idea is it's it's you and me, mm-hmm. and we're talking together, mm-hmm. and you're bringing your knowledge alongside, and that fifty percent of the book is you and what mm. you're bringing to the conversation. Fifty mm-hmm. percent is me. So, you know, I haven't completely written the book, and you haven't completely read the book until mm-hmm. we come together and sit down and talk, mm. and. Then things beyond the narrow bandwidth are revealed in the mm. same like it was before when I said, hey, you should pick up a hard copy mm. uh, because there's stuff you can feel there on the cover with mm. the That's awesome. embossed parts. You know what I mean? And it's exactly the same as that with every conversation I have with somebody. Mm. There's always you a know, different aspect that can be added because of the two things people that together. people reveal. So a lot of, I mean, I just had a conversation when you came and got me. I was quite discombobulated because I was trying to assimilate some new information. Absolutely. I understood that the Federal Reserve was a private institution that everybody thinks is a public institution. Mm. And, but I just had it asserted to me that, no, it's the other way around. It's actually a, mm. public, it's institution a public institution that everybody Everyone thinks, thinks is a private, private institution. Yeah. And I've just gone, ah, oh, man, there's a... Uh, now I've got to rethink some stuff. Yeah, because there's a lot of ideas and assumptions that I have that hang off that. Mm. So A, I need to check <laughs> that. B, I need to try and uh, change my YouTube algorithm so I'm not going get, getting as much libertarian stuff coming through. Oh, God. And <laughs> just, just don't get the flat earth stuff. If you can stay away from the flat earth stuff, everything will be okay. I love the flat earth stuff. If it's entertaining, it's the shits and giggles bits of YouTube. Oh, no, I mean, the theory is rubbish. Yeah. Like, you can't make any accurate predictions <laughs> or calculations based on the theory. That's, I don't think they understand what a theory is. Otherwise, they would actually develop some proofs that would work. So I just, I, you know, when they develop that, that'll be awesome. I'll see if I can use it for something. But what, what is um, cool is their community. They know how to build a community and a very strong and really productive kind of community. That's interesting. So, um, well, I mean, flat earth um, sexual relationships are interesting, the way they manage those. <laughs> Do you know much about that? No. Do right. we want to know? Yeah, yeah. Start dating some flat earthers and check. No, I'm married. Out. I can avoid this. That's, um, <laughs> have your assistant do it. Um, <laughs> He's engaged. He'll get in trouble. Sorry, you have a really good excuse, but anyway, I mean, I'm, that was a flipping example. But, but it was got funny. A, they've got a lot of really um, interesting stuff with how they run their lives, how they gather, how they um, manage their communication networks, all these kind of things that are, um, I don't know, like coming out of this really highly irrational ethos. There's some really interesting non-linear, just ways of being with each other that are. Kind of, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You just you listen to everybody. Could we argue that it's because if you've opted out of the big community into this little community, you want a nice little community? Exactly. Is it so deep in us that we want a nice little community? Yeah. Well, you know, um, 150 people? Well, look, if we're, you know, sitting here theorizing and trying to come up with um, ways to make our game be done by a number, little economic system work and what that might look like our little intentional community, then, you know, it might be worth having a look at a few weird models. Hey, don't mind weird, as long as it doesn't involve falling off the edge. (laughs) Wouldn't that be funny if you... Tap, tap, tap. Actually fell off the edge. What would be going through your mind as you fell off the edge of the world? Everything. I'm sorry. No, initially it would be like, okay, if this is the edge, there is no bottom. 
Rock and roll. <laughs> free fall forever. Damn you, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, free, free fall <laughs> until eventual dehydration oh, and unconsciousness. I had a dream about that two nights ago. That's so weird. What, free fall into dehydration and unconsciousness? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the gradual mummification process of an eternal drop would be <laughs> like, like going through that. It would be crappy. You I just, think it's just a... You want a good microphone to record the experience for those back on the disc. <laughs> I think it, I'm trying to calculate it. Like it's just two days normally before you die of thirst, but I think if you've got that, you know, uh, rapid evaporation happening. Yeah, because you'd be evaporating moisture from the screaming initially and then wetting yourself. (laughs) And then, you know, so then I was trying to calculate that, but then I thought, well, if it's a bottomless pit, then it wouldn't have atmosphere in it. Because that would need to be contained. Yeah, because you need to contain it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, damn it, man. You just mean we're going to die when we fall off the Exactly. Edge. So you wouldn't even feel it. You're no, just so it's just blip. blip. Well, mm. blip's no fun. Yeah. Unless you had a bubble edge. of atmosphere around you or something. But cool. then even then you wouldn't feel or even notice that you were falling. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah. But could you have the, the oxygen without the gravity? <sighs> don't know if you can. Oh, come on. We're strayed so far from topic here, but it's yeah, fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, then what would it be like to just be a little piece of consciousness falling through an infinite void of you mean that's not what happens when you ride on a jet plane with 175 other people well no you got Einstein there <laughs> to stop you from blasting out the back of the plane every time you jump up okay <laughs> I was having more fun before Einstein got yeah. involved <laughs> I know things were uh, man I tell you you know the, the magic of mobile phones was more, was more, was more, was more fun if you, if you just try and think of the world using Newton Apples. Newton. It's yeah. like, you know, how that signal works, going yeah. up and bouncing back. Yeah, but and, that's uh, not apples. Not having a factor in time, oh, slowing I, down I the further away. Joke, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Tyson can do the physics. I'll eat the apple. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm doing gravity too. I'm like, I'm doing time space. It's the same goddamn thing. It's all. Uh, <laughs> so the further you get away from the Earth, mm. the time slows down. Is that a metaphor for this thing? Is that a meta- is Earth That's a meta- Einstein. Is know, Earth yeah. just a metaphor for the podcast, though? Is the further, <laughs> further we stray away from topic, the, the slower the time goes? There or? is no topic. Oh, I see. Don't <laughs> tell me. But look, if it's economic theory, you know, I guess uh, we'd probably suck as much at that as we do at Einstein, but we could give it a shot. Hey, we. I think I think we'd have to all agree anyway, and I don't, I don't think anybody disagrees anymore that a growth-based economic system doesn't is, work. It's not possible. Infinite growth models don't work. Yeah, I think modern monetary theory is is still an infinite growth model, and I think essentially it's a way of doing some nice little quantitative uh, things that would actually ease the transition. But um, that, it's a transitional tool. Well, it's, it's going to ease the transition yeah. of, of, of uh, it's, try, it's trying to make a soft landing, I but think. But we need to decide yeah. to land where. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not a landing and it can't tell us where to land. It can yeah. only help us transition yeah. to something. So while we have the chance, we need to be picking the something. Yeah. And, and it works for me as a soft landing tool. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I hope that's what other people are seeing it as and not as, oh, this is uh, the, the blueprint. Order. Mm. And they keep telling us it's a lens, it's a lens. Make sure you see it's a lens. You know, we might try testing you also the phrase <laughs> transitional tool on people. We do, but you also need to look at like we're talking about laws of physics before. I mean, you know, if we get back to supply and demand again, and, and the economic problem, so any growth-based economic system has to have uh, demand exceeding supply. 
Mm. Mm. So there has to be more people needing shit than there is shit to go around. Like you need to have that, otherwise nothing will have value. Mm. So demand needs to exceed supply. So, you know, basically if you expand the amount of your currency, um, then the demand decreases for that currency. Yeah, but that, that's, that's like that's an actual like you know yeah. thing. That's the economic problem. But this so is that a, is it's that is a thing. Mm. And Am this, I right? This is the interesting thing Stephanie said yesterday. We said don't don't think about how to pay for things. Think of how to resource them. And that seemed that was like a bit of a penny drop for me to, to yeah. talk about exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah, but and that's fine. But you need to reimagine value first. Yeah, before you do that, because how you resource um, because it, how if you you're still value. working on a model where um where value is coming in the currency then you also need to make sure that your 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 money has value. The yeah. settings for that yeah. is is changing. If you consider something like the internet where uh, let's say your value is in really broad basic economics is uh, it's uh, demand divided by supply or something like that is your value. Um, when you have things which we purchase on the internet, we do all the time. We download files, we buy movies, we do all those kinds of things. We buy music, we buy books mm. on the internet. You know, those are files. They're infinitely copyable, which means the supply is in infinite. We still put a value on them, but their value technically by basic economic standards would be zero because anything divided by infinity or in- still zero. is still zero. So the, the broad economic value of things is slightly changing. It's just that we're not 100% conscious of that yet, I don't mm. think. Yeah, yeah, but they have, I mean, you know, that's what encryptions are for. That's what <laughs> all those sure. kinds of things. And, we're, and we're finding substitutions sure. for And the things. licensing and all that kind of thing. They, trying to do that. It's... um. But 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 as it, a, as an example mean, uh, though, yeah. if, you know, we're talking. You know, we talk about all the kind of environmental constraints of resources. Mm. You know, but we, you know, if if we were to say, you know, um, files, for instance, you, find, you people can relate to the injustice of paying mm-hmm. ridiculous amounts for music mm-hmm. when the the copy is the, the copy is infinitely. Yeah. So, uh, coming up with another system is yeah. um, for people in arts, for people everyday people. Uh, well, that's, is it's also like a, we need to be wary of what we call infinite as well. Sure. You know, I mean, we have very finite. You know, it's called rare earth metals for a reason. Oh, definitely. You know, there's really finite limits to how long we can even continue the, mm. this this digitized system. Mm. Yeah, like yeah, all your so we need to make sure we have backups. Definitely. And I don't mean for the data, I mean backups for... for the physical um, infrastructure. Yeah, but even for our, our pr- human processes mm-hmm. and, and things. Because, I mean, I guess in this race to the end, <laughs> as they're trying to um, do the AI thing, mm. you know, I guess they're finding that um, trying to make machines think like humans is actually impossible. No, machines will uh, think but like... But they still want the same outcome, mm. so they're just flipping it and they're going, well, we've mm. just got to make people think like machines mm. yeah. and mm. then we'll, um, we'll have our... And that's easier AGI. to do because we're flexible. <laughs> yeah. To jump back to your book, I think there's an interesting value thing you touch on in the book, and that is people where at different phases in their life, they then get access to more knowledge. Yeah. So as you get older, you get to know the next important thing. Yeah. And I think it was in Lynn Kelly's book, The Memory Code, where she makes the point that, you know, multiple Indigenous groups in Australia, people are often only getting some knowledge in their 50s or 60s, mm. which meant people were regularly living until their 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, and more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, if you're giving people information at that age, you must assume they're going to be using it and they're going to teach people. Yep. So they've got to be around for maybe 20 years more. Mm. So that makes suddenly 70s is normal. But uh, a value system based on the joy of understanding more and the sense of pride 
in knowing more to be able to help the people you care about. Yeah. That's a good value system. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, suddenly, I mean, it starts to challenge a lot of grand narratives. When you realise that, when you find out, well, hang on, this, there's no way this knowledge could actually exist unless there were sustainably over long periods of time people living uh, past the age of 80, mm. 90, 100, etc., to actually store this, this amount of knowledge when this is the protocol for carrying the knowledge. It would have disappeared a long time ago. Yeah. So we know people living that long. And then it's like, mm, okay, so what does that do to the big Hobbesian story of, you know, these brutish, primitive mm. lives that, and there's been this gradual incremental improvement, you know, arriving at this pinnacle, like supposedly us three now sitting here, we're the picture of health in human history. We're like, you know, this is as good as it gets. We're like the healthiest people who've ever lived. I've got such a slouch. I, I, <laughs> I don't fucking feel like that. Like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've got old people who are like, you know, 90-something and they're, they're a lot healthier than I am. And that's now. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not good. Yeah. Like I, so, I, so I think for a start, there's that, there's that thing debunked. Now, there was something else in it, what you were saying, and I think it's kind of elderhood or something. Just that thing. And I mentioned that idea that the <laughs> eldership is not something that is conferred upon you when you reach a certain age and weight. No, it's you've got the ability to keep yeah. learning and so traditionally so responsibility. What, even the idea and the word elder is a Western idea. The concept of an elder is a Western idea as well. It's kind of and and even the idea of calling elders auntie and uncle. If you go around most colonized places where there was a a subaltern relation, so India, Africa, you'll find it's the same thing where people are speaking English, like a colonial English. You know, you'll find this idea of elders, and they're called auntie or uncle. And you'll find this all around the world, I anywhere where the British, that. anywhere the British went. Okay. I think it's a really strong Anglo idea. You'll also find lap laps with most of these people. So the idea that there was traditionally a woven red dyed cloth worn, you know, some kind of Egyptian cotton or muslin, <laughs> <laughs> or like you know microfiber bedsheets or something, nappies in red. Um, you'll find that in India as well, Africa, Australia. That There's a few things that are, are weird like that. Mm. Yeah, but, but one of these things is the idea of eldership. Because you find a lot of people, you've you got um, uh, lawmen and lawwomen, clever men and clever women and stuff like this. And this isn't necessarily an age thing. It is often because it often takes a lifetime to attain a certain state of mind. But often there are a lot of people you find... I mean, I know a lot of 20-year-old lawmen. Is there one, who for example, in your book of the young guy who've in Tasmania uh, who knows about stone? And he sounds well, he like does, he would have been so mega knowledgeable. Uh, and yeah, he's been given bits and pieces of knowledge and story. Okay. But he hasn't gone through law or ah, anything. Okay. But I do know people who are senior, senior lawmen at quite a young age and who have very strong positions of responsibility traditionally in the community. You know, they're the ones that speak all 13 languages in the community and know all of the songs of all of those 13 language groups. And they're the ones that conduct the big ceremonies when everyone comes together. Wow. And sometimes that's just a 19-year-old genius. Mm. You know, you have that. It's not just the oldest one. 
And the best thing and is sometimes people make you know people will go in, you know, my community sometimes, and they'll see, you know, this old grey, dark skinned Aborigine, big long grey beard, white beard, and they'll be like, ah, oh, you know, and deferring to the hello, wise elder kind of thing, and and then the other law people will come around. Don't tell him he's just a boy. He's nothing. <laughs> Don't talk to him. He's stupid. <laughs> Call him elder, he's nothing, you know. It, um, yeah, so that's a long way around sort of talking about that. It's, I, mean, I guess, everything's um, but the great thing complex, is eh? it's that ability to recognize here's a person with a ton of talent who can learn and take on responsibility faster. Yeah, here's a person who either can't or doesn't want to. Yeah, and to have a space for both of them. Yeah, and be able to go, we've been doing this for so long. Yeah. We don't need a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. We actually know we can go fast or slow. That's it. And it's not just the capacity to take on the knowledge. It's your capacity to um, to use it wisely and, and protect it. You know, are you the yeah. kind of person that's going to judiciously break all that knowledge up into small pieces and give it to lots of different people so that no single person has the power to use it? Mm. Um, but and, but in the knowledge will, will bring them together so that they have to use it collectively. You know, what mechanisms are you going to put in place to protect the knowledge, you know, so that it's passed on in the right way? You know, are you somebody who can actually, who gets that system of knowledge and who's able to, you know, respond to all the the weird idiosyncrasies of this particular group of people to make that knowledge work there and to make it sustainable so that it goes on for the next round? And also, are you the person who can understand that that knowledge, you know... You talk about those files replicating infinitely before. You know, no knowledge actually does that. That's how evolutionary fitness surfaces and stuff work. I mean, you know, when you have that, uh, those endless copies made, there are mutations, there are slight changes as you go along. And, um, and that's how creation works over time as well. And the knowledge person is going to have to deal with all that change in their group of people, but also in the world their group of people live in. That's it. So you've got to balance the internal, the social, and the environmental, which is, I think, really we've come full circle back to why I was so excited reading your book, for a philosophy that can both grasp the individual working to grow, the community that they can be a part of and try and be responsible to, and the world in which they have to adapt. Nice, I hadn't thought of it like that, but yes. On that note... Thank you, Tyson Young Caporter. Nice. It's been awesome. Thank you. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out. Peace out.